I'm Michael Dorinda. And I am Jake Bennett. And welcome to the South Meets North podcast web. Done. That's how they do it down under. On the other side of the world, they reverse everything. Um, yeah. Our toilets spin the wrong way. Uh, we. Oh no, you guys vote for the wrong politicians just like we do. So. Hey, how much do they pay you a year to act like an Australian? Oh, look. I mean, you guys it's don't it's actually. A, I mean, no. we all know. I mean, it's not real. You don't actually exist. Yeah, I'm totally just a paid American that's uh, hanging out over here. <laughs> oh my it's just all a cover-up it's, it's all a big cover-up it's enough money to live comfortably i'll tell you that much oh my gosh that's great that's great if i could talk uh like an aussie as well as you can talk like an american yeah i would do it more the thing is maybe. the thing is we were kind of exposed to the american accent growing up as kids oh so sure we've got you know, I've got 30 years of it, whereas you would not have seen any Australian television. You wouldn't really have been exposed to the accent whatsoever. Crocodile Dundee was the only one. That was it. And that was, you know, in the 80s and, and awful. That's not a knife. <laughs> That's not a knife. This is a knife. Yeah. That's great. Oh, dear. Great, great. Okay. So, what's been going on in your developer man life these days? Lots of things. We're uh, underway in a project to relocate our server infrastructure, all of our applications uh, into new equipment. So we were, the company that I worked for was acquired in August again. of 2017. Yeah. Again. Oh. So, no, 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 not again. Not, not again. again. <laughs> not since then. But they had some divisions in their company, in, in that company rather, that was doing some high-end compute. And so they bought all of this equipment and then they decided that that was not in the scope of the business anymore. And so they've got all of this computer equipment that we're now going to be leveraging for the remaining business units. So there's a lot of consolidation going on at the moment in terms of the different uh, acquired business units in terms of like moving all of our stuff off of AWS or off of our own tin into this singular uh, application platform. So because we're we're an internet provider it's not like you can't just pick up a database and a and a web server and move it to a new server there's a lot of moving sure. parts there's authentication servers and you know transit routers and border routers and like all of this equipment that needs to be able to talk to each other but because of certain security specifications and things like that not everything can talk directly to each other so there's sure. yeah um a lot of implications that need to be considered there to make sure that everything can talk to what it needs to in a in a sensible way. And so, you know, we're sort of planning out what we need to move and how we need to move it. So the first step for us was getting our database server upgraded. Uh, so it was still running an older version of MySQL, whereas the, the environment that we're moving to is running MariaDB 10.3. Okay, nice. So you guys are running Maria then. Yeah, do you find... Yeah. Did you make that switch? Well, I'm interested to hear what your reasoning was. 
I don't know. MariaDB was there when I started, and oh gotcha. MariaDB, yeah, we just never never changed it. So yeah, so we were on MySQL five five when I started, and and now we're you know the new environment's all MariaDB. So um, it, you know, it's fine. It, I'm sure there are reasons that that that's been chosen for us. As long as it's MySQL compatible, that sure. doesn't really right have too many problems for us. The only issue we had is that we had to move a, a not insignificant amount of data from our current environment into the new environment. And there are some issues with the way that replication ran in that version of MySQL. So we had to sort of like step to something that was a little bit closer and a little bit better so that we had like multiple or parallel replication functionality. So that's all sorted now, which is good. Um, and it's just a matter of getting the data across. And once the data is across, we can certainly look at moving the rest of the stuff across. So that makes things a little bit easier for us. Those are some um, of the least fun sort of things to do, though, like because it's yeah. always so scary. And at the end of the yeah. day, what you end up with is exactly what you had before. It's just on a yeah. different server now. Yeah, that's right. Um, yeah, it's always like terrifying though, because it's like, oh man, like I hope well, I don't have to figure out how to roll this back or you know yeah. whatever. Yeah, and it's the kind of thing that like once we do it, we need to commit to it because there's like they want to shut down all of this extra infrastructure and they want to get off of the AWS stuff. So it's like. It's not like you can go there and then, oh, it didn't work, so we'll just go back to what we had. No, it's like we've it got to go there and we've got to make it work. Yeah. Um, so it's not too bad. The, the, the biggest issue that we've got really was that we used a lot of the stuff that had been killed by the strict mode stuff. Yeah, So sure. things like zero dates in the database that don't work in MySQL 5.7 and above and obviously in MariaDB, uh, the, the compar- comparable version there. So we've had to enable that stuff anyway because it's easier to enable that in the database than it is to work around it in in the application and and in the different places in the application so yeah that, that was sense. one one main thing but and in, in in doing all of this we're sort of like increasing the level of uh monitoring and, and that kind of stuff on the applications so we've started to pick up on things in our slow query logging that we we didn't really notice before because you know we had less customers or we weren't really watching it as closely so we came across a, a database query the other day that had an order buy in it. And we weren't really sure why the order buy was there because it didn't affect the application in any way. Like the order buy was just there, but it wasn't like if the order buy wasn't there and it wouldn't have made any difference. Sure, um, I've had that before. Yeah, I just recently actually this week had that happen. Yeah. So removing that order buy reduced the query time significantly because... It was a large table and it was doing an order. So it's got to basically select all the rows, create a temporary table, do a file sort and things like that. So it's not actually an efficient way of doing it uh, given the data that we're pulling out. So we removed the order by, the results were exactly the same and the query went from like one and a half seconds to, you know, 20 milliseconds. So these are the kinds of things that you don't, as I said, at a smaller scale with less users, with less data, you don't really notice it because of... You know, you don't have a lot of people accessing that database. So these things may not come up unless you're actively doing things like explains on your queries to see like what indexes are being used and what kind of queries are being executed in in reality. So it's a it's a it's a factor of scale that you would pick these things up. But and it's hard to say that like you should be aware of these things up front because you won't necessarily hit them until you get to that certain sure. size and you yeah. start looking. Well, it doesn't even make sense to bother with it yeah. until you hit that size, right? Yeah. What are you using um, and, for your slow queries? Like, so what are you using to monitor those? So we're using Grafana for okay, the yeah. monitoring of the the slow query log, and then we're just using MySQL's slow query log 
to to pick that up so it picks all that stuff up and just shows like so when we see that there's like a sudden spike of slow queries we go and look at the log and see what's actually running at that time and then we try and optimize those queries wherever possible so does my signal just run to like the syslog uh, i think it could be configured to to do that but by default it just logs to like the mysql data directory in slow.log I yeah. have to do that because I have we're paid per for paper trail. We use paper trail quite a bit. Yeah. But uh yeah, I don't think we're doing anything, any sort of logging stuff with MySQL, but that might be interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, so there's things like that that, that we've been working through. The other thing that we, we've been working through is previously I've mentioned that we're using Redis for our queues and we we're pushing something like two and a half. I think we got up to about two point eight million queries in an eighteen hour period. Wow, yeah. And and then we started to see issues with Redis as we started creeping up our number of customers. We started creeping up to like the point where by default, Redis is actually configured to just consume all the resources. So we had a Redis server with 32 gig of RAM that was consuming 32 oh, gig gosh. of RAM and yeah. getting to the point where it couldn't keep up with its own operations. So we had to do some tweaking with the Redis configuration, getting it to like be more conservative with what it was doing and to like flush itself when it you know was done with things. We had to reduce the the period of time that Laravel Horizon was actually holding onto those records. So instead of 18 hours, we're only keeping six hours at the moment, sure. which it makes it a bit trickier if something happens overnight or in the evening in the previous day. If we don't see it in time, you just don't see it at all. But we haven't run into too many issues with that. We have seen though, we, we had to basically revisit the way we were doing some of that data accounting stuff that we'd spoken about before. Yeah. So instead of every job dispatching another job onto the queue and that number of queue jobs blowing out, we've we've basically separated it. So like it will still dispatch those jobs, but we're using the dispatch now helper yeah. instead of the dispatch helper so that they get processed. So instead of us having to like serialize that model, throw it onto the queue, query that data back out again. So, you know, for every essentially one operation, we're querying the database three times or four times for the same yeah. data. Because yeah. we're now using dispatch now, well, we're just passing the model in and the that job will then use that model without having to query the database again. So we've reduced the number of queries and effectively the number of jobs by 60%. And and that's sort of kept things a little bit nicer for us is in, that, the, in the interim. Yeah, is that problematic at all? Because uh, you're, you have to make the operations, what is it called? What is the, the word atomic. I'm looking for? Nope, not atomic. Basically, retriable. Item potent. Thank you. That's it. You have to do that, right? And so, like, when you're when you're using something like the queue, that's nice because you can say like perform the single operation, and if it fails, then you didn't perform that operation, and so go ahead and retry it. And if it fails three times, then let us know. Yeah. Um, and so you know that there you go. But if you're like trying to say like do these three operations, so updates the database, and then pushes it to a new job that updates the database, and then pushes it to a third job, and that third job fails, it retries itself, and it says update the first thing, you know what I mean? So yeah, is that an issue at all for you guys or not? It's, it's not a huge issue for us because of the way the data accounting works. So we've got the data accounting scripts basically take the data from a database that's populated by another service, and all that's doing is tracking like this IP address downloaded this much data. And that's just like a, an, a uh, oh, I forget the word for it. Basically, the number just Damon? keeps incrementing. No, oh, no, no, no. So the, so the number, so it stores like the number of bytes that have been downloaded in that session. And that number just keeps going up and up and up and up. So the way that we know how much data you actually downloaded or uploaded 
is that we look at that number and we compare it to the previous number, right? And we calculate the difference and then we add that to a summary table and then we store the total as the previous value so that the next time there is an update, we just calculate the difference between the two values. Um, and so the, the thing that's actually inserting into that table runs, you know, every, it, it basically gets an update every 30 minutes to an hour, depending on, on the service. So we just look like if the values are different, it means that that has been updated and we should go back and like calculate the difference and do all of that stuff. So if, if we like do the first two parts of the job and then decide, oh, we need to count the data for this. And then that fails for whatever reason, it's not that big a deal because that number will just go up and then we'll just calculate the difference again. Yeah. So it, it means that, you know, instead of counting, say one gigabyte, because the job failed, we'd count three gigabytes. Well, it doesn't mean yeah. we've counted the one and then the three. Sure. It means we'll just count four. Because you're so, like counting the diff. Yeah. Correct. Got it. Yeah, that makes so, sense. So that works really well. And then like just, it didn't really make sense to do all of those separate pieces. I mean, it made sense to separate the parts because it meant we could test each of those things in isolation. But it sure. didn't yeah. necessarily need to be separate jobs that were queued. So... Yeah, essentially being able to do that all in in one process or in one queue job, even though we're dispatching, you know, three different things, didn't matter. And then if we need to um, a shape a service because they've gone over quota, we need to like reduce their speed. We would then just dispatch that onto the queue because that's happening for like one in every hundred, as opposed to like counting the data, which happens a hundred in every hundred. So sure, it's it's just these things that like, as I said, you're not necessarily going to hit them at a smaller scale, but as you start to scale up your operation and like we've doubled the number of customers we've we've got in the last six months. So we've seen that rapidly change. And so it's just a matter of like keeping on top of that and, and then figure out, but it's tricky because you don't know where the actual issue is. Is it like a database bottleneck? Is it a application bottleneck? Is it, you know, what is the actual issue and where do we have to go to, to diagnose that? So it takes a bit of poking around in different places but one thing that I will say for an application of any size, if you start seeing a query appear in your slow query log and you start seeing it appear there often, like more than a couple of times in an hour, go and look at that query and look for a way to optimize it, whether it means adding an index. And, and don't just add indexes as a blanket like fix all, but look for like, will the index actually improve anything? Or could the query be you know, written in such a way to, to make better use of indexes that are already there or, or you know, all that kind of stuff. MySQL, so if you put explain in front of a select, it'll give yeah. you some information. Okay. It's it's my understanding that Postgres has this thing called a query planner and it's actually a lot better than what MySQL's explain is, but it will give you some indication of, you know, where to look and what to actually change to improve your, your queries. So yeah, those two things are, are pretty powerful in, in combination and much easier than sitting there and like, Hitting and up just, yeah, and doing hand. a show process sure, sure. list. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. That's interesting. Yeah. We, we honestly, I, I say we haven't dealt with those issues. We are starting to deal with some of those issues, even though we're a lot of the stuff that we're building is actually just for our internal employees. We kind of have a central like database that we use to manage a lot of our databases. Like we have a single server. So it's like all coming into like one big connection, right? Yeah, and after a while, you get a ton of connections to that one thing. So, yeah, we've got a lot, a lot of stuff all hitting that central database. And so we're yeah. starting to run up against some, like, open like open connection limits and that, and that yeah. sort of stuff. I think some of our legacy stuff, like, when the when the, that's done querying, I'm thinking it's not closing its connection. Like, it's not, you know, like, 
running that close yeah. method to say, hey, we're done. Yeah. And so I think we just have these old connections sitting out there. And then uh, what eventually happens is like that pool just grows and grows and grows until, you know, oops, it exhausts the number of open connections yeah. you can have. And then it like crashes and whatever. Yeah. So, so fun. We, we've hit that a couple of times. The other thing, we've got two databases now and we've sat proxy SQL in front of those two databases for some applications so that we can transparently say, hey, if you get an update statement, send it to this server. But if you get a select, send it to that server. So that gets around the issue of having to configure a read and a write connection in, say, your Laravel application. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. Um, and, and it means it can be done transparently. Like you just have to change the database config instead of having to create whole new models and you know yeah. all that kind of yeah, stuff. Yeah, no, that makes great sense. The issue that we ran into that is that we pointed our main Laravel application at the proxy and there's a there's a known issue with proxy SQL and Laravel in the way that it handles prepared statements. And basically for every one query, Laravel will do like a a prepare and execute and then a commit or a, or a close or whatever. So it's actually creating three queries for every one prepared statement. And you very quickly, especially at the level we're at, start to hit the prepared statement limit in MySQL or in proxy SQL rather. So we're basically going to have to big bang the application. Like we're going to have to move the database and the application at the same time. The application itself is easy. It's like everything else that needs to talk to it. And we rather suspect that we can like move everything else to use proxy SQL fairly transparently. But the main Laravel application, because of the way that active record operates, we're going to have to move at the same time and get it to talk directly to the new database. So I'm going to have a late night Saturday night at some yeah, point having in my to do stuff in off hours that. is always fun yeah. yeah it's like hey uh everybody we're gonna do routine maintenance so we're gonna cross our fingers and hope this works when it turns back on okay all right see you in 20 minutes and then it's like just sweating bullets yeah yeah luckily luckily for us the main application is our internal like crm oh nice so, yeah sure and, and so we can do that on a con- when the contact center's closed so if we schedule it for like seven o'clock on a saturday night you know, while everyone's out having having fun or dinner with friends or at the movies or whatever, we'll just be making this thing happen. So, speaking about the movies, I went and saw Endgame uh, last week. It was good. I still haven't seen it. Yeah, you're gonna love it. It's great. Great. We're, we're gonna go and see it today, actually. But the weekend just got away from us, and then we had to take Eli for his 12 month pediatrician visit today, and. The pediatrician goes, oh, he's a bit small. And we're like, oh, no, he was a month early. And he's like, oh, no, that's, then he's about right then. So, <laughs> so like, yeah, oh, we're no, going to go today. But, yeah, the weekend just got away from us. There was there was too much on. And the pediatrician was with the, his intensive care unit babies today. So, he was running a little bit late. And it just it all got away got away from us in the end. So Yep. Yeah, you guys will enjoy it. I think you'll really like it. You guys are fans. So, yeah, we're yeah, going to try for next weekend. It's really good. Well, my favorite part is when... Just kidding. I won't do that to you. Uh, but yeah, no, it's it's really good. It is long, of course. Uh, I think I, yeah, might, three I can't hours. remember if it was you that suggested that there was like these articles telling you when the best time to go to the bathroom is because it's such a mm. long movie. Yeah, it wasn't me, but I, I believe it. I've seen them before. Yeah, you should check those out. Uh, it's helpful to know. Like if I have to leave, there are these four optimal times where yeah. it's like, okay, leave during this period. You won't miss anything. So yeah. Yeah, so that was interesting. Or just bring a, a bottle. Yeah, no, no. No? Don't, no, mm-mm. Don't do that. Not in the movie theater, please. 
<laughs> I guess she's like, okay. If you were the if you were the dude in the row in front of me, be like, mm, yeah, no. What's that sound? <laughs> yeah, I had a friend that I had to leave halfway through the, the- halfway through the movie though, because he went to a late night showing, and some dude was just snoring like obnoxiously, <laughs> and he's like, "This is ridiculous." So he left. He like left halfway through. I was like, "Oh, I'm just gonna like kick the guy or something." Yeah, yeah, uh, wake him up. Yeah, yeah. Uh, okay, so what have we been working on recently? We've been using Nova a lot. We've been using nice. Tailwind a lot. Lovely. Um, yeah, View. We've been using quite a bit of View. Uh-huh. Uh, but no like crazy architectural challenges, really. Don't have anything super new on that front. Uh, just your standard sort of... I feel like we've been doing a lot of factories recently. Um, mm-hmm. I was going to say about you, you had mentioned dispatch now mm-hmm. and one of the advantages to using dispatch now, and I think you can actually go see this. If you go over to the Laravel IO GitHub code base, which I'm trying to remember who does that. Who Dries. is it? Dries? Dries okay. Yeah. Yeah. Dries. So, um, if you go look in there, it's really interesting kind of how he's structured his controllers and stuff. So he's got, you know, his validators or a form request. And then typically whenever he's going to create a model, he does so using a job. So any sort of stuff that's going to go into the logic of creating a new resource, he will throw that into a job. And what he'll do is he'll just do dispatch now on that. Mm -hmm. Um, So typically, if you have dispatch, if you just have dispatch on something, it's not going to return anything because it's, you know, it's assuming, I guess, that it's going to be queued. Mm -hmm. Um, If you say dispatch now, however, it will return back to you whatever is returned from the handle method. So in the case that you would do something like create a model and say return that model, you call dispatch now, it's going to return back to you, you know, so you can assign it to a variable, that model. Uh, so that is an interesting way to do that. And you had talked about how kind of jobs allow you to be able to do those, do testing in isolation of those little kind of disparate pieces. Uh, so you can say, hey, when I execute this job, I want to make sure that these three things happen. I want to make sure that I'm, you know, creating this and I'm creating this associated uh, relationship and I'm doing that. Right. And so you can do that really easily, you know, by just like testing the job and then uh, your controller uh, or your end-to-end test becomes really, really simple because all you have to assert yeah. is that you're dispatching a job, right? Yeah. So it's it's a cool it's a cool way to do that. I would suggest if you are if you're ever looking for like a good Laravel code base, you just want to see how somebody else writes stuff. Go check out that Laravel IO one. It's all open source and it it's really clean. So Dries has done a really good job on that. So uh, yeah, check that out. Pretty cool. What else? If I'm being real honest, I got some serious brain fog going on right now. Yeah. I am like. Uh, I, I was up really late playing Rocket League with David last night and I am still paying the consequences. I had an early morning today. Yeah. I had to do this like golf thing like for this school that our kid goes to and our company supports. And so I'm not a great golfer. Uh, the last time I golfed was the last time they had this, which was last year. So I have not <laughs> golfed in a year. Um, yeah. We got up early, walked, you know, not walked. I played like 18 holes and um like you're out in the sun all day so i was just drained right just absolutely drained came home like fell asleep on the couch fell asleep right before our podcast so i'm like (laughs) just seriously dead so i'm trying to think through like what we've been working on and i'm like having a hard time even recalling 
but you know, it's honestly been for me, uh, I've been juggling a lot of just like people management sort of stuff. Like I, I've got like almost, I try to think I got one, two, three, four, five, six, we're hiring on an intern and then another, so seven, eight. So it's getting like the team of people that I'm having to kind of like manage and keep, keep up finger on the pulse of what's going on. Not so much like tell them what they need to be doing or all the time or, or monitor every day or anything, but yeah. just like the group of people that I kind of am generally, you know, on a regular basis responsible for is growing. And so, uh, like more and more of my job is becoming that and less and less like just, you know, sitting down yeah. to write code, even though that's what I'm really, of course, really enjoy doing. So yeah. how, how do you feel about that? Because when, when I was presented the opportunity to lead a team, I said, I will take on the technical direction and like the day-to-day stuff, but I have no interest in managing the people. Like that can be either my boss or HR directly, but I just want to lead the technical direction because I don't want to find myself in a position where... I stop doing what I love because if I have to turn, you know, become a manager, I'm, I'm not that person and I've got no interest in like going down that path at all. So I, I'm interested from your perspective as someone who seems to be going more that way, what what that actually feels like. Like, do you do you see yourself as like, because I think that you would make a good manager of people, but I also know that you that you enjoy like the coding side of things. Yeah. Um, so I really struggled with that for a while really really struggled with that because i i definitely enjoyed like the period of my career where i would just come in every day and i would just pick up where i left off the day before and just hammer out code and that was awesome that was really really fun and now if i want to do that i've got to really like set time to do that like i've got to set aside like periods of time to do that so there's really good things and there's really bad things about not having to be the only one. The really good things are that like the annoying things that you had to do before for like fixing stuff that you don't want to fix. I don't have to mm-hmm. do that anymore. So yeah. I just say, hey, dude, remember when yeah, we delegate. talked about this? Hey, go yeah. go do that. And that's really nice. So all I have to do is write the issue up that says, hey, this is broken. Go fix that. And yeah. it, it happens, which is amazing. Yeah. And if you have the right people in place, like you can pretty much trust that that's going to happen and yeah. they're reliable and that's great. So I love that part of it because I don't have to do the annoying little things. The cool thing is though, I still get to set the technical direction. Like I get to say like, you know, let's, let's talk about, you know, what are the problems and talk with the leadership and the other people around, you know, what are the actual struggles that you're dealing with and cr- try and kind of get an idea of how we can best solve this problem. But I do miss the, uh, you know, getting to implement some of that because what what I have to do now is basically say, because you obviously don't want to like solve the problem completely for them, you know, because nobody appreciates that either. Otherwise, all that's like, if you do all of it, then it's just kind of like you might as well be doing it yourself. So you want to be able to give them ownership of the code. Uh, but what ends up happening sometimes is it happens, it comes out differently than what you would have, you know, ideally expected it yeah. to, you know, in my head. Um, there's advantages to that and disadvantages, obviously advantages because you get somebody else's perspective on it. Disadvantages because sometimes it's like, I just would have done that differently. But you know, a lot of times it's just not worth it to rip it apart. It's, and it's like a yeah. preference thing, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, so I'm having to let go of some of that, which is, it's okay. And then in other areas, it's like, I'm having to come up with like documentation for like, here's why we do this. And, um, you know, 
I mean, you probably have this in your position as well, where like, if you are the technical lead, you can basically say, no, this is how we're going to do this because I want it to be like that. Yeah. And then when they say why, and I say, because like, then yeah. I try to do that as little as possible. And that's very, yeah. very difficult for me to do. Actually, I don't, it's, it's rare that I ever do that ever, ever. I've done it maybe yeah. twice, but uh, there are some things where you just kind of got to drop the hammer, right? And be like, yeah, I'm, I'm sorry you disagree, but like, this is what it is. Yeah. yeah, yeah. you don't want to have the argument about it. You don't want to have the discussion, especially if it's something that's come up before that you've like mentioned or that you've seen and you just want to be like, no, we're not, we're not doing it that way. We're doing it this way because this is like, especially in Laravel, it's the conventional thing to do. Yeah. So we're just going to follow the conventional way because it means that anyone can, and we, you know, we say this all the time that it's like the conventional way is the, the way that means that we can have the least amount of friction um, in bringing people in and, and dealing with it. So... Yeah, I definitely get that. I I've I've come to the the same kind of place now where I can if there's something that I want to do, then I'll just create an issue and assign it to someone else. I I like that, which frees me up to to do the more the the more technical things or to sit down and you know have those discussions as well with with people to make sure that we're getting the right outcomes with the with the project that we've had over the last sort of year year and a half now. A lot of it has been built entirely by the but like by the development team without much consultation from the business. And I'm not happy about it, but at the same time, we had to move really quickly to, to, to deliver some outcomes. And it meant that what we built wasn't necessarily the most practical. It didn't necessarily fit with the workflows of the people that were using it. And now that we've got our heads above water a little bit, and we've got some time to sort of work on that kind of stuff, it means that we can go back and yes, we have to redo a bunch of stuff and it means that we have to revisit a bunch of things. But it also means that we're like going to be able to to get those things right. Um, and most of the stuff was pretty close to the mark, but there was just some things that didn't quite work out. But because we were moving so quickly in getting these things up and running and we had to like bring customers on and we had to do a whole bunch of uh, transfers of services and things like that, it was a matter of having some tooling was better than having the right tooling or the perfect tooling. Yeah. And being in a position where we can just like tweak it now is is pretty good. Yeah. It's like that idea of don't let perfect get in the way of good enough. Right. So yeah. it's like this Nicole Sullivan. So uh, Stubbornella. She's like a CSS chick. Is chick degrading? Maybe it is. Maybe I shouldn't use that. She's a Maybe lady not. who's really good at CSS. And so like her quote is we're not building an effing piano. In her language, maybe a little more colorful, but um, <laughs> but the idea that like you know you can always change it later, like it doesn't yeah. have to be perfect. It needs to work. That's right. It's software. Yeah, it's software, but it's going to change. It doesn't have to be perfect, right? And so that's something I've again. That's sort of been like a growth point for me, and a, a really good thing about having a team around me is that I tend to tinker to perfection, like the thing that I am working on, and so sometimes it takes longer because I sort of have that perfectionist tendency to kind of Mm -hmm. just get it just so. And a lot of times it's just not necessary, you know? And so I have, you know, people who have varying degrees of that perfectionism. And uh, sometimes I know like if there's just something that needs to get done and it doesn't need to be perfect, I can just toss it to this guy. Hey, take a look at this. Just go do this. And it's going to be, you know, it's not going to necessarily be sloppy, but it's going to work and it's going to work fine and he'll get it done in two hours as opposed to a day, you know? And so, 
Yes, there are definitely advantages. And I think I think I'm in a good place where I'm at right now. There are certain aspects of some parts of the team that I don't I'm not as passionate about managing. Um, mm-hmm. But thankfully, I've got some really strong leaders in those areas that can kind of step up and take charge um, as well. So that's been good. So no, I, I think I'm really happy where I'm at right now. And uh, it's been really nice to have uh, a team of like more than just, you know, when it started out, it was just me. And it felt like I was drowning all the time. And then it was me and one other guy. And it mm-hmm. was fine for a while after we onboarded. And then it was like, okay, we're drowning again. So we brought on yeah. power. And it's like, now it's like, okay, we've got tons of momentum right now. So we're knocking out tons of stuff, which is great. But again, it's like one of those things that's hard to keep your head wrapped around yeah. all the things that you're working on at the same time. And I know like a team of three, like that, that can't, you know, some people are like, you gotta be kidding me. Right. But you know, I don't know. We're making a lot of progress really quickly, which is great. Yeah. I still feel like I, I sort of take on the role of designer uh, yeah. when it comes to the UI stuff, because yeah. that's one area in which I'm not really willing to compromise, especially if it's yeah. client facing stuff. Like I really want it to look polished. Um, because at the end of the day, it's about trust, right? Yeah. And, um, you're going to, there are so many little things that if you take the time to do it right, you really just do your people, the people who are using your application are going to trust you more than mm-hmm. if you just kind of, and it's no big deal. I'm not going to worry about it. I'm not going to use the right icon here. The spacing is yeah. a little bit off. Who cares? Like people notice those things. Like even if they don't know why they notice them yeah. or know what it is that's different, they notice them. And so um, I feel like that's kind of part of my job now too is like, they kind of do their best and then I go through and as like after the, after that, after the last step, like the PR, I just kind of go through and like tweak all the settings and all the values and just space yeah. everything out a little bit, uh, which yeah. is what Tailwind makes really easy to do and super mm-hmm, nice, mm-hmm. right? Because before it was writing CSS, now it's just adding classes, which is so wonderful. Yeah. yeah. And I find my, I'm the, I'm the same as you in terms of design, especially like, because I've been cl- so many of us have been like this, but so many of us have been like following closely the things that uh, Steve and Adam have been doing yeah. with refactoring UI and with like that design mindset. And so I look at some things and I, I just, no, I, I, and it's hard because they're very, they're very kind of like nitpicky things that you don't want to like go back to the developer and say, Oh, this you've got, you know, you've got like a margin of two, but it should be a margin of three and, and things like that. I'm very fortunate with the team that I have in that I can go in and make those changes and then they will, like, I don't have to say anything. I'm, I'm like, your code is fine, but it just doesn't look quite right. So I'll just go and make those changes, commit those changes and then accept the pull request. But the good thing and, and the fortunate thing about the, the team that I've got is that they will actually see those things and it's like an unspoken thing, but the next time they submit that, they will have made that change and they will yeah. follow that thing. So as I said, I'm very fortunate that we have that that kind of working relationship that we can make those that I can make those changes and they can take them on board and it's about keeping things consistent and so uh, I you know it's not like that for everyone I know that sometimes you can have someone that's a bit stubborn or they want to do their own thing their own way but at the end of the day we're building an application for our customers we're not building an application for our egos yeah, uh, like and, it's not about you. Yeah, it's about, uh, and, about the customer. And I say it's not about egos and it's, and you say it's not about you, but it's about like it's about you as in it's about me. <laughs> it's like this is the way I want it, but it's not the way I want it. It's the way that it needs to be in order to work for, you know, the business. So, and, and, and having that single point of focus, that one person 
that is like singularly responsible for like the look and the feel of the application. It means that it's consistent for the people that are actually using, as you said, is for the, you know, for your customers that are using it, that they see that it looks right, that it feels right, that it's like a consistent experience across the board. Yeah. Yeah. One of our big themes this year is third party experience. So like, how are the people that are interacting with our stuff? How's it, you know, how's it going for them essentially? And uh, that could be our internal, that could be our internal people. That could be our, our Mm -hmm. clients. That could be our customers who are coming to make payments. That could be any, any sorts of, you know, there's a whole bunch of third parties that interact with our company on a daily basis. So, yeah. So it's like, I can totally justify the time spent on those things because it's like, Hey guys, third party experience. You're like, Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Go for it. Yeah. Spend that time. So, yeah. so it's good. Um, one thing that we've been, that we came up with as a pattern, which I've really worked well is like a modal on desktop, which is a drawer on mobile. So it's like, um, on desktop you click and it pops up a modal and mm-hmm. on mobile, when you click that same link, it slides a drawer up from the bottom. Uh huh. Right, so it's just kind of like on the bottom head, got a bottom portion of your screen, uh, which it seems to work. Seems to work pretty well, actually. It feels good. Uh, so that's been a cool pattern we've run in, run into. But like again, it's one of those one of those items where it's like, okay, you know, I only want it to be this high, like on mobile. I don't really want it to take up much more space than that. So it's like one of those mm-hmm. things where like, okay, we're gonna break that into multiple pages, like a multiple, you know, a multi-page form and, and those sorts of deals. So like those are some of the more nuanced things that, that you kind of have to, you decide as you go along that you just, you can't ever really invent that up front because you don't know what that looks like yet, you know, until you get to that form that has five fields and you got to break it across multiple pages. So it's like, then you have to come with these heuristics like, okay, if you ever have more than this many fields, you're going to have to break it into a multi-page form. And since you're going to break it into a multi-page form, you need to have a next button here and you need to have a back and a cancel button here. And then when you're submitting, you need to use this spinner, right? So there's just all these different sort of like patterns that you have to come up with kind of as the application evolves. And so figuring out a a good way to communicate those is I'm sure a little bit difficult. We only have a team of three right now, so it's pretty simple, but I'm sure when you have larger teams, that becomes quite a challenge. You know, Mm -hmm. when you have different people working on different pieces at the same time. And that's, that's why you end up having like, you know, a product manager, (laughs) product managers and like, and even like, you know, things like where Basecamp goes back in and says, okay, this doesn't look right. Like we're going to go back and mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, we just wrote this two months ago, but we're going to go in and kind of reconfigure how we're doing the UI here. Yeah. So that's one thing I want to work on too is like I actually want to have like scheduled into our time like debt reduction days, like, you know, technical debt reduction, like just go back and like spend a Friday every two weeks just refactoring yeah. a piece of code that's ugly. So yeah, yeah. And it'd be cool to have something like that. I want to have, one thing that I would really like is to actually come up with a, I guess, a design, like a style guide and and nothing crazy, but just like, this is what a form looks like. This is when we use this kind of button. There, There is kind of a sort of consistency with what we've got currently, but it's, it's you know, multiple year old bootstrap application now. So it would be, it would be nice just to come up with something sensible just so that we can actually have a direction moving forward and start building out like some HTML components. Cause like Tailwind is really nice in terms of yeah, like it is copy and paste all of these or you know, put all these classes in and it's right. good for like spacing out cards and things like that as you need it. But when you have a card, you want the card to always be a card. Or when you have a form input, you want the form input to always be a form input. And so making the distinction between when to extract a CSS component 
like for example, a form input, you would have a CSS component in your CSS file where you use Tailwind's at apply, uh, you know, directive or whatever that thing's called. And you say like the input has yeah, always got like apply. a, yeah, you've always got um, like a background color of gray 100 and a border of gray 500 and text of gray 900. Like those kind of things I would always put into my CSS component. Sure. But in terms of like the form group, that would be a blade component. So you'd have the label with a slot for like the label and you'd have the input, which you'd have the slot for the input so that those things are always consistent. And you, you never have to worry about like, is this the same as like, have we got a slightly different margin on this form input in a different part of the application? Because then obviously things get out of sync. And that's where Bootstrap was really helpful is that a form group is a form group is a form group everywhere. Yeah. Whereas with Tailwind, you've got to like, and you don't want to be copying and pasting those kind of things around. And that's where you start extracting those components. And that's, you know, that's why it's the utility first, not, you know, utility only. Right. Right. Yeah. No, that makes sense. And that's, that is correct. Like I'm sure as our application grows, so like there's a perfect, that's a perfect example because our inputs are rounded, which fight me. I don't care. Our inputs are rounded. And so the, the labels look a little bit weird if you left align them because yeah. they're like, it looks almost looks like they're hanging off the input. Yeah. So mm-hmm. like there's, I do like a margin left two ML dash two on all mm-hmm. of the labels, but like, of course that's something that's really easy for people to forget. Yeah. You know, I notice it right away because I've kind of made that rule, but I haven't canonized that anywhere. Yeah. So, uh, right. Like if you extract that to a component, then it's kind of, you can't really mess that up. Yeah. And like, so the thing for me is like probably half of our forms are going to be in view components, maybe even more. Mm-hmm. So a blade, a blade component doesn't work in that case. So, you know, I'm assuming maybe just a view component then at that point. Yeah. But like and when whether you're it's doing view like, or blade doesn't matter as long as it's yeah. extracted somewhere as a partial of some description. Yeah. Like that, that always gets a little bit tricky. Like these uh, form controls in view where it's like you're passing, I don't know. I don't know. You got to, you, you know, you do the V model stuff on them. It always feels just a little bit weird for me when you have those customized components. Like, and it, I always run into a challenge where it's like, well, I need this one thing a little bit different. And it's like, I got to break out of that component. So I'm probably just doing it wrong. But uh, anyway, hey, man, we've been going for about 45 minutes here. And I am truly about to fall asleep on air. So <laughs> I think that's a good place to wrap it up. I think, yeah. Uh, We've, we've done well there. Yeah, I agree. So, yeah, that's a that's a good place to wrap it up. I think we've covered off some good, reasonably technical topics and some good uh, yeah. softer topics. Uh, yeah. Before we wrap it up, obviously, we want to say thank you to our wonderful, wonderful sponsors. Uh, to, to Andreas, to Joe from WorkVivo, to JP Davey, to CTO Sumo. We thank you all. And especially this week, thank you to Rasmus C. Nielsen and the team at Makeable. Uh, they're a small team of 16 folks located in Aarhus in Denmark, and they build web and mobile apps for their clients, primarily using Laravel and making sure they keep up to date with the latest versions, of course, and Vue.js for the for the front-end side of things. They're frequently in the open source community and have over 20 Laravel packages of their own. And they're they will be at Laracon EU. I don't know if they're going to be in Madrid in the next little while here. I know Laracon EU Madrid is happening. Where Laracon EU South is happening this week, maybe. Um, yeah, I saw that on Twitter this week. Yeah. Yeah. So Laracon, I don't know if they'll be in Madrid. Uh, I assume they'll be in Amsterdam this year. They have been in the past three years. So 
uh, definitely check them out. They're at makeable, M-A-K-E-A-B-L-E dot D-K. Uh, they're always on the lookout for Laravel developers, primarily on site, but also do some remote freelancers as well. So definitely reach out to them if you are looking for some work in the EU. Yeah, awesome. All right, everybody. Thanks so much for joining us. Um, I think we updated our page too, didn't we? You got we us did. To, uh... We got onto the 2.0 version of Simplecast. So yeah, it uh, looks really nice. Check out the website at northmeetsouth.audio. You will see that it looks a little bit different, a little bit fresh. Yeah, it does. Yeah. Of course, feel free to hit us up with any questions or comments at, uh, on Twitter at Jacob Bennett, at Michael Dorinda. And if you liked the show, share it with your friends and rate us up in iTunes. Five stars would be very much appreciated. Thanks so much, friends. We will see you in two weeks. Bye. Bye.